This is Margot Gurion. This is the demo version of her song, Sunday Morning. And uh, this was recorded in the late 60s, intended as a demo for other artists to base their own recordings of. Um, and it's really good. It didn't see the light of day till about 20 years ago. And I'm glad it did. I've been a big fan of Margot ever since she was reissued in the US. Uh, I guess she was a big cult favorite globally for uh, quite a bit longer than that. Anyways, um, we're here today to talk about Margot Gurion on Low Profile with me, your host, Mark Lee Morrison. Today, I am joined by two esteemed colleagues. First, all the way from St. Louis, Missouri, is my dear old friend, Michael Sean Coleman. How you doing, Mike? Doing well. Thanks for coming all the way to Olympia, Washington to do this. Yeah, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, on my right, I've got another old friend of mine. You've heard him before if you've uh, been listening to the show. His name's Andrew Dorsett, and he came down all the way from Whidbey Island. That's right. Biggest island in the in the continental U.S. Is that correct? Is that true? I think that might be true. It yeah. might be true. Uh, I think Long Island is bigger, maybe. Uh, I don't know. It might be longer. That's true. Um, what are we talking about today, anyway? B- Billy Joel? I, it, Billy Joel pretty much always comes up. Okay, good. So we'll we'll get there, but baby steps. Okay, um, take your time. Yeah, first, first I guess we're gonna say a few words about this lady, Margot. Oh yeah. Anybody know where she's from? Upstate New York. Okay. Rockaway Beach. Rockaway Beach. Correct. I got a friend who just did a little stint out there. Right. I think the Ramones wrote a jam about that place yeah i like that tune that's a good one um some about uh rock rock rockaway beach that's the one yeah um margo predates the ramones obviously um by at least a few years and uh she came on the scene as a songwriter after having a stint in jazz um, and deciding that she didn't like the performance element of jazz, she didn't want to go jam at clubs or anything like that, so she went the composer route. It's the best part, I think. Studied it. It's where, where the money's at. <laughs> you do you do the leg work. I'll do the. Or is she doing the leg work? What what part of the body does the uh, performance? I'd say that's mostly the legs. Yeah. So she's she's doing the she's basically a, a, a pianist, although she plays many other instruments. I'm told. Mm-hmm. What does she play? Voice. Oh right, she's a hell of a singer. Oh, isn't she? Yeah, she is. Yeah, she was uh, discouraged from being a singer 
by uh, the the first time she was trying to get a record deal. Yeah, apparently uh, Ahmed Erdogan and uh, uh, wait, who? Ahmed Erdogan and Jerry Wexler at Atlantic Producers. Correct. Producers. Okay. Uh, determined that Margot's voice was not tracking properly or it, they said or they came to the conclusion that she was not a singer um, anyway th- there's the story is fascinating but I'm following your lead so yeah well as far as I know she uh, wasn't she didn't fancy herself a singer because she was told she wasn't a singer. Right. Right. And then she got a new producer, a guy named uh, David Rosner, had the idea to just multi-track her voice. So you got a room full of Margos singing at you. And that's what you need sometimes. And sounds, I think, sounds real nice. Oh, man. Therein lies the magic. Yeah. This is called Something's Wrong with the Morning. And uh, it's another demo. Something's wrong with the morning If he doesn't call to say hello And ask me what I'm going to do For the rest of the day And if I need him And how he needs me when he's all alone And how something's wrong with the morning When he doesn't come to say he loves me <laughs> Makes people want to sing with it, man. That's another exclusive version with added backing vocals Something's available wrong with the only on this podcast. <laughs> so some of these demos did get recorded by other artists. Um, a lot of them just sat dormant for years. And uh, who is the who's the label that put out this? Uh, uh, it was initially it was a, initially re- uh, released. Uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s on Franklin Castle mm-hmm. by a guy named Linus of Hollywood. Oh, he's the guy who ran that label? That's correct. Okay. And, I, and if I'm not mistaken, he began the label specifically to put out Margot's reissues. Oh, wow. Okay. That was nice of him. Yeah, big fan. I looked up um, Oglio Records, who is a, Franklin Castle is a subdivision of... And um, 
they mostly their website lists this stuff and um, a new Smash Mouth collaboration Whoa. with um, God, I forget who it was. I want to say it was maybe like Daryl McDaniels from Run DMC or Whoa. something like that. Recent, they're like, yeah, Smash Mouth's ready to come back. Wow! But also, here's all this great Margot Gurion music. Wait a second, Smash Mouth and Margot Gurion are doing a collab. <laughs> it's produced by Billy Joel, I think. <laughs> I knew we were going to get there eventually. I, I just couldn't wait for it. <laughs> oh gosh. Um. She also had an album that was released back in uh, 1968. Like a proper album, not just a some, some demos. Album. That's correct. I've got it in my hand. Yep, right there. What's it called? It's called Take a Picture. Why don't you show all the nice listeners what it looks like? Okay, can you see? Yeah, you got. Yeah, yeah take a look at that cover. Wet look at that. Some... It's Margot's beautiful face gazing out of a kind of glazed window with rain running down painted kind of a dark glossy black she's so pretty and she's got such a whimsical look about her it just matches the music you know kind of a Mona Lisa smile take a lot of pictures yourself don't you mike i do yeah i took quite a few this morning in fact just before i came up to join you guys right around uh, downtown Oli here yeah one of the biggest shutter bugs i know <laughs> yeah i enjoy it just trying to walk around a place with this guy this number is for me it's so sad and pretty, it's almost difficult to listen to. Mm, such a beautiful song. Yeah. These arrangements are just gorgeous, too. I also like, in, in a lot of her songwriting, there's, there's a, a lot of surprises. Little rhythmic things that kind of catch you off guard. Kind of hard to, almost hard to follow if you don't know it. Mm -hmm. It's nice.
God, and that that like close miking of the voice, mm. just really stimulates. Very breathy. Ears, very breathy. Breathy. Makes you just feel like <laughs> it's, it's so soothing. Um, can we talk a little bit about how this record kind of began its birth? Yeah, please. Um, I'm I'm interested in, in like the triumvirate, quadrumvirate, whatever of people that were involved in. All, let's put it this way: folks that joined all of these other folks that seem to be somehow connected with these projects. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, initially this album was well the the producer that was initially um, scheduled to do this record was none other than John Simon. Right. And John Simon produced the the band, those early band records? Correct. What else did he do? He did some other stuff. He did, yeah. Um, he also had some really great solo records. Yes, he did. A couple. Yeah. Yeah. I've got one right here. It's sitting oh, yeah. on the windowsill. Yeah. It's really a, it's a special special music that that guy made but then what's the story he didn't end up producing apparently it apparently not all. that's right yeah apparently he became unavailable and you know uh enter mr rosner david rosner who's now um mr margot gurion rosner oh and he was the magician who came up with the multi-tracked vocals yeah and boy kind of defined an aesthetic there i would say so which song was it that john simon produced was that sun i i think so if you two chat a bit i can do a little research here and we'll find out for sure well i'm interested in what john simon was doing production wise because yeah which he, don't go away was the one away. that john simon produced oh, oh. that's a good one cool yeah that's a real like kind of up-tempo number it's uh it's this. Don't go away now that you walked into my life and brought me sunshine. Don't go away now that you opened up my door and gave me flowers. Don't go away now that you painted a smile on a face that knew how to cry. Don't go away now that you've shown It's math pop. It really is. Isn't yeah. it? It's so good. Very deconstructed approach at pop music. And uh, from what I understand, the guys who would play these demo sessions were a little bit baffled until they heard her play it on piano. That's right. I read in the in the liner notes for the demos, I think written by the, if I'm not mistaken, written by, the, by, Rosner. by Rosner, the producer. Yeah. It was saying that... Uh, that the musicians would that she would give the musicians a score which is uncommon for for uh, for, for demos demo right, sessions you just have charts or right something. and they would look at them and kind of think she was crazy you know because of all the weird twists and turns and chords that don't seem like they ought to go there and you know half bars of you know odd numbers of beats and things and until they would play them and then hear what they were playing and be like oh yeah okay yeah, it makes sense once you hear it. But yeah. 
just to the effort to put it all together like that. Um, she does it so naturally, and that's just what what the music in her head sounds like, and she's able to uh, communicate it to others. So I'm assuming that she worked really well with others. So this album just uh, kind of tanked, I guess. I mean, I got a little kind of a little story about that. Okay. Of course, I've been Please. sleuthing a bit. Of course. But, uh, yeah, so here's the deal. In order to promote a record like this, or to promote any record for that matter, you got to get out there and tour. And uh, the label wanted her to be an artist, and Margot wasn't down for what that entailed. And she frankly kind of laid it out that she wasn't going to do those things and they said well we frankly aren't going to distribute your record and it wound up in the cutout bins too sweet and she actually saw one of these records a copy of take a picture in a 25 cent bin in a you know department store in new york that's a that's a hell of a feeling you know i um i i once found the uh the Christian ska compilation I produced um, when I was 15 years old. Yeah, awesome. I found it. I found it in a used record store in Sweden <laughs> for the equivalent of a dollar. Wow, ten crowns. Wow. I picked it up. It's got a picture of my bedroom wall when I was a teenager Whoa. on the back. Oh, that's it was a weird. weird feeling. And then I found uh, my old band from the Mojave Desert, Airplanes. Mm-hmm. I found. Uh, our CD that we uh, made like 500 copies of here at the Value Village thrift store in Olympia. Wow. Like five years ago. Weird. And I know I didn't donate that. <laughs> Somebody else did. But you know, on the flip- I stole it, by the way. I, did, I would like, I already paid for this once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great story. But you know, on the flip side, you've got a piece of ephemera. Like a that cassette recording we made, a guy in Britain paid good money for it, and then sent him a letter saying, you know, more please. Right. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. Me and Mike and Andrew actually in two separate generations um, ran a cassette label called Brown Interior Music, and so if you ever see any of those tapes around and. Dollar bins. I, yeah, dollar bins, thrift <laughs> stores, etc. Uh, yeah, me and Mike started the label in about 1999, 2000. And then um, when Mike moved to St. Louis, I eventually moved up here to Washington State. Um, and Andrew and I kind of rebooted the label in 2006. Sure enough. That's right. Went for about, I, I think we went strong for like maybe five or six years. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know why I'm plugging uh, our old label. But <laughs> <laughs> just a little contact. There's a little trifecta here going on. There is. I hadn't really thought about A reunion of sorts. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. So, what about this Billy Joel guy, anyway? Well, you know, he, I, I think that he was um, a contemporary of Margot Gurion. Oh, that's where it comes in. Okay. Yeah, she hung out with a lot of other songwriters uh, in that time. Oh, yeah. In, in like the late 60s, early 70s. I've seen pictures of her with Elton John, with uh, 
Oh, there's a Dylan story. Yeah, you you should uh, get ready to read that. Dylan who? Uh, I who Billy who Dylan? What was it? Wasn't he uh, Billy Joel's brother? Dylan. I Ross. think that might be right. Yeah. Uh, famous Dylans. We're, we're trying to figure out. Who's Bob Dylan named after? Oh, who is Bob oh. Dylan named after? Robert Zimmerman. Dylan Thomas. Dylan Thomas. Dylan Thomas. That's it. Dylan Shearer, anybody? Oh. Uh, but, yeah, another oh, fine Bob song. Brother Dylan. Oh, Dylan Zombie? Dylan Zombie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, All right. Well, um, I want to play another song from Take a Picture called Love Songs. It's a song about songs. This is like early meta for everybody. Turn it up a little bit. Everybody get your hankies out. Mike, let's have that story. Well, <clears throat> this is in the voice of Margot Gurion, by the way. This is a direct quote. My Bob Dylan story. David, my husband, and I were invited to a party at Neil Diamond's house. There were three large tables set up with placards at each table. We sat at our assigned table. David got up to say hello to someone. Neil came over to great uh, excuse me greet newly arrived guests david came back saw neil sitting in his chair and found a seat elsewhere our table consisted mostly of lawyers and other dorks neil left and i was now sitting next to bob dylan on my right and an empty chair on my left dylan didn't say a word and the lawyers were busy chatting at each other that's the movie table i said to dylan he turned his chair to look at the table where suzanne Pluchet agents and other movie people were seated. Dylan still didn't say a word. About 10 minutes later, I said, and that's the comedy table. Dylan again turned his chair. His back was now facing me and looked at the table where Albert Brooks, Rob Reiner, and other comedy people were seated. Every few minutes, that table erupted with laughter. I so wished I could have been seated there. Another 15 minutes passed. I said, and I don't know what the fuck this table is. (laughs) 
<laughs> he burst out laughing. I made Bob Dylan laugh, but I couldn't make him talk. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, love that story. Love it. Love you, Margo. <laughs> Thanks for that one, Margo. So maybe I'm spoiling the surprise here, but um, thankfully Margo Gurian is still around and we, we, uh, we, we got to ask her some questions. We did, yeah. Um, she, I, I reached out to her on the internet and she told me that she does not give interviews anymore, but she would be happy to answer some questions via email. And so um, we're going to hear a little bit of that later, but I... Um, I'm going to have my friend Ashley read for her, just like she read for Rose Drake um, on the Pete Drake episode, just because I really like her voice, and she does a great job. But she did give me a little bit of insight into her process and her background. I'm not sure that I'm going to, you know, really blow anything out of the water. I will uh, skip to the, uh, the part where she told me that no, she does not have an arsenal of unreleased music. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a shoebox. <laughs> Maybe a shoebox. Maybe a vault somewhere. A bunker. I was hoping for a bunker. Yeah, a, a bunker of unreleased tapes. That would be... That was the goal for this episode, so sorry that we can't deliver that. Sorry in advance, but hopefully we can shed some light onto this Margot lady. Margot Gurion. So, uh, as we mentioned previously, uh, we've been listening to some of her demos. She wrote songs hoping that other artists would record them, and they did. Um, Well, that's a relief. You guys ever heard of the Mamas and the Papas? No. Oh, okay. What about Cass Elliot? Mm, yeah, I think so. Mama Cass. Oh, right. Right. She did this one called. She didn't choke on a ham sandwich, by the way. <laughs> that is, that's a lie. That's a lie. Oh, that's that's good. That's a that's a terrible lie. It's a really terrible lie. Um, I want to I want to play through some of the songs. I'm really glad that that didn't happen to Cass. Yeah. Me too. Um, here's. Cass Elliot singing I think a lot about you nice and slow somewhere it is sunny and people may be happy and somewhere there are people making money by the week but I can't think about that all I can think about is you
I guess this is uh, from her album Don't Call Me Mama Anymore. Hmm. And it's recreated selected highlights from her TVS or CBS television special. Uh, yeah, that's great, man. That That's just a great example of how in Margot's writing, she's just so damn clever. There's that little phrase, the dang, right mm-hmm. she uses cabaret that. yeah yeah to, right it's a cliche right from cabaret and that kind of stuff but she uses it in the clip we just heard she uses it in three different ways she goes to three different keys with that same riff it's so clever andrew's a pianist yeah he is and boy doesn't she have the voice of an angel oh love love mama Ooh, Cass. that's mm-hmm. chicken skin music right there yeah I was looking to see who produced that record. I was under the impression that it might have either been John Simon, John Simon. or possibly even Bob Durow. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think he produced some of her stuff. Hmm. Well, Margot, uh, when she reached out to me, told me that that was one of her favorite versions of her songs Mm -hmm. that's out there it's one of my favorites Um, too she also really enjoyed this uh her version of come to me slowly a song she wrote that julie london wound up recording Hmm. um she was a fan of the julie london version and so for margo's fans here's some of margo's favorites of uh her stuff and let's let's hear what this one sounds like to me slowly so I can see your eyes come to me slowly so I can see your smile watch it undo me now come a little bit closer to me and say you love me today Come to me slowly And tell me And tell me what I want to hear Come to me slowly Till I can feel your lips Talking on my lips Be Have silently promised to be Come to me slowly and make love to me Come to me slowly and tell me Tell me what I want to hear Come to me slowly that little weird rhythmic bit there. So Margo. It's just so Margo. It really is. Great. They nailed it. She does a neat little trick in that one too. It's very Cole Porter. Goes from minor to major. Clever little thing. Yeah, yeah. I think her uh, her most covered song is Think of Rain. Um, I'm gonna we're gonna kind of uh, do a ham fisted composite of 
three versions. So first we're going to hear Malcolm McNeil. And then after that, we're going to hear Jackie DeShannon. And then we'll hear Claudine Langer. Uh, three different interpretations of this song. Uh, but we're going to play it through as if it's one. Should I just play them all at the same time? No, I like your other idea. Okay. Let's see. This is Malcolm McNeil. If you sirens are not in the original recording we have a special version here they're playing our song to forgive me think of Claudine Langer. I wonder why she didn't become like sort of a household fixture. Because she was in prison. Is that why? <laughs> That's the truth. What? what wow. What? Why would she be in prison? Well, she killed her boyfriend. Beautiful... Oh, she for did. one. Yeah. Well. Yeah. What? I wonder why. I don't know. You'd have to ask her. Huh. So. And she got caught. She didn't get away with it. No. She didn't really do a whole lot of time in prison. Um, so the story goes. This is just a... What I'm... A, it's a sideline. Mm -hmm. She was married to Andy Williams. 
Andy Williams. The famous uh, Moon River vocalist. Sure. That guy. And um, they were divorced, and then she hooked up with this famous ski star, downhill ski instructor star, mm-hmm. and uh, Olympic ski instructor named Spider Savage. Uh, and they were kind of making the scene in Aspen, Colorado, and lo and behold, he winds up dead. Wow. Um, shot through the guts. Ooh. And Claudine was pegged for the murder and wound up doing like, you know, a couple nights. Something like that. A couple nights in jail. They even let her paint her let them let her paint her uh, jail cell pink. Is that true? It's correct. <laughs> wow. Amazing. And, and I bet the locals love that. Oh, they ran her out of town. imagine so well that's a really nice story mike yeah well but she sure could sing pretty couldn't she (laughs) Yeah, i'll say yeah i remember i picked that album up uh just because she looked like you know one of those 60s go-go french chanteuse types along the lines of francoise hardy or yeah ilk for sure it's kind of a dichotomy isn't it when you look at this kind of you know soft pretty figure and think about what she did oh yeah it just doesn't make sense but you know well to each their own i say i say you're right spanky and our gang had a hit with sunday morning i've never heard this before of you no Mike is smirking. Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Sun shining from your eyes. Sleepy face. Smiling into mine. Sunday morning. Lots of time with nothing to do. Lots of time to spend with you. Sunday morning. disrespect to Spanky or their gang, but I liked them better when they were called the Mamas and the Papas. <laughs> <laughs> but God bless them, because they hopefully got Margo a few bucks there. No doubt. Yeah. That's a cool version. I like that. It's different. Yeah, it's a good one. Way different. Yeah. Um, so That was a Bob Crew production. I, I thought it was Bob DeRoe. Ah, At least okay. it was a Bob, though. Yeah, yeah we got to have some kind of a Bob. Um, after the Take Your Picture album came out, 
You know, she kept writing songs, kept making demos. What year did Take a Picture come out? 68. 1968. 1968. Yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, when did it come out? <laughs> okay. Um... But, you know, she kept recording. Not for us, but we wound up with it. Um, she, she got she got kind of mad this one time. when. Uh, have you guys ever heard of Watergate? Isn't that a hotel? Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful place. <laughs> you, they, got, they got an ice machine for every room. Anyway, she wrote this song about the... About that whole thing happening. The heat is down and the lights are low. The east is buried in an icy snow. The west is following. Oh, you probably want to know what year this came out, huh? Yeah. I think 1973. Oh. Okay. Oh, I like those congas. Yeah, the congas are a nice touch. Kind of places in there in the 70s. What year was this recorded? What? What year was this recorded? Uh, Let's see if it's in the liner notes. I don't want to... I thought it was 73, but it might have been something different. That song is called The Hum. The Hum, yeah. Oh, 1974. Ah, Sorry, okay. So the, I'll the, bend over and you guys get the paddle. <laughs> All right. Uh, so the the I don't know if you heard it, but the the chorus of that one, she goes and the tapes go. And so she's talking about the the there was the an hum eight, of the a, audio. Tape. There was an 18 minute gap, right, in the in the in the the, the Watergate tapes. But that's what she's talking about. Yeah. That's what happened. So it's not just talking about the studio arbitrarily. Ooh, I like that change. Uh Oh, here comes my favorite part. sue him. I really do. This came out before that. A lot of money to be had there. That's right. Here we go. That's cool. Oh. oh, I love that. Was that the hum? Yeah, yeah. Seriously, though, Margo, if you're listening to this, you sue that queen estate. Even like three seconds of the melody, that's good for something. They were probably listening. This is not the only time that Margot gets political either. 
she took a real long hiatus upwards of uh it was at least 30 years before she released anything under her own name again and she did it because I'm, i'm guessing she just felt a calling to say something she had something to say so this is uh margot gurion's second intentional release and it's called 16 words and just uh see if you figure out what it's talking about the british the british government the british government has learned the only song i can think of that uses the word uranium same here significant quantities of uranium that's right yeah that's a lot of uranium sure is oh my gosh there's so much we don't know about margot gurion yeah like i think if you asked her if she was a political commentator she would deny that fact yeah probably just doesn't see that as her place really but you know something drove her to do this Mm -hmm. and i think if anything it was really nice to hear from her and uh i think a lot of people can sympathize with the intent behind this this single so that Um, came out just as a single huh yeah in 2007 oh that's good i was dying to know when it was released yeah i know I, I was ready for you this time. I actually looked it up while I was listening to it because I knew. <laughs> so I thought I'd preempt you this time. So was there a window of time between this recording and her chopsticks variations? Oh, what's chopsticks variations? Chopsticks variations. 
Uh, well, when you hear that name, you just... It sounds really enticing, right? Yeah. I mean, who doesn't love the song Chopsticks? It's my favorite song. I do. Well, it's... Uh, excuse me. What year was that one there. recorded? This is one of many variations on the song Chopsticks that Margot put into an album, a mini album, I guess. It's an EP. It's about 20 minutes long. Um, If anybody out there is interested, the year it came out, Andrew, it's 2009. So to answer your question, Mike... Uh, what I just said. Two years. I wonder. I wonder why this came about. This is decidedly non-political. That's true. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, also decidedly a very much a variation on the theme of chopsticks. I can't hear chopsticks in this hardly it's interesting supposedly it is it's in there somewhere yeah i wonder there's well there's also a boogie woogie variation oh my everybody loves a little boogie woogie boogie woogie if you will i will my copy of this in St. Louis for five bucks. Well worth it, I bet. I'll say. Oh my gosh. You guys, we got a surprise guest on this episode. Oh, we do? Yeah. Uh, That's a surprise. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a surprise for the listeners anyway they didn't read the notes what year is he showing up who reads the notes <laughs> we got about seven minutes so um before we talk to this special guest is there anything that you want to know about margo um the person Is this amazing lady? That's a good question. That's a good question. All right, here. I got pencil over here. Who is this amazing lady? Amazing, I wrote. <laughs> um, I want to know uh, maybe dietary stuff. 
Mm. That could be like, mm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Favorite ve- foods? She a vegan? That's what everybody wants to know. Because, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that um, only listen to music that is made by other vegans. That's right. So, just for dietary issues, if any folks have musical-related dietary issues. I that's- love vegan tacos. <laughs> no? I, I, I can see that. Me too. Okay. Um, I want to know... Well, I want to know what his favorite Margot Gurian song is. Good question. Yeah, I wonder if, uh, like, Margot at home. Well, damn it, what I want to know is what the hell was going on between 1968 and 2007. Not too much happened between them. It's, It's kind of a boring topic. I mean, yeah, maybe it was just the same stuff, but I'm just going to write 68-07. Hopefully, uh, that'll be a good prompt. So, any other questions? Hmm. Hmm. Okay, that's that's cool. It'll be a short interview. <laughs> I'm guessing he'll probably enlighten us on some things that we might not already know. Yeah, like... Uh, I mean, this is his mom, right? Yeah, yeah. Stepmom, I think. Stepmom. Yeah, we're going to talk to a guy named John Rosner in just a few minutes. And uh, we talked about David Rosner. Producer. Who later married Margot and brought John along for the ride. From what I understand, or what from what I've read, uh, Margot is quite fond of this fellow we're about to speak to. Oh, that's good. I talked to him uh, about a week ago. Yeah. We had a really nice chat. I'm fond of him, too. I'm looking forward to making a new friend. Oh, yeah. So, there's, um... It's kind of funny how I got in touch with this guy, actually. How'd you get in touch with him? Well, you were talking to me on the phone, Mike. Yeah? And, uh... You kept on going on and on about some guy named David Frischberg. Uh, yeah, I did. And um, you're like, David Frischberg is connected to Margot. It's a conspiracy. And to, we're, we're doing some more episodes. Um, and I usually save who's going to be on what episode till the end. But I'll, I will say that another person that we were doing an episode on, Mike said, is connected to David Frischberg. And, uh, you know, I, I looked him up, I found his, uh, website and, uh, contacted his manager and, uh, this is David Frischberg underneath here, Out of date. Out told him of what I was working on and, uh, he, he texted me and asked no what I was doing on Margot 
and if uh, I could talk soon. So a few minutes later, we were on the phone, and he said, yeah, Margo's my stepmom. Imagine that. Wait, David Frischberg? No. No, John Rosner's. Oh, I see. Is David Frischberg's manager. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. We said, were hoping to speak with David directly. Um, actually, so our guest says five minutes. He'll be in position. Should I call you? I'm going to go ahead and uh, text him an affirmative. Play it once and then once more. Figure out what we can use. Saying, yep, ready when you are. It's still a useless Let's listen to some of this David Frischberg guy for a minute. I think we'll tell everybody about this guy in the next episode. Okay. But this is just a... I'm chomping at the bit over here. I want you to know that. Oh, yeah. Who can tell? We're going to get there. It may become tomorrow's standard disco sound. So we'll... We've really tapped an ending resource of fascinating folks here. And they're all connected, by the way. well produced with no apparent faults. But what's the use? It's still a useless waltz. That's a nice song. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a sucker for waltzes. Mm-hmm. Useless though they may be. Yeah, like the Tennessee Waltz. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, but if you listen to the words of that song, it's like uh, the person who's singing the song kind of wishes that waltz never happened. That's right. Did it have something to do with a girl? Yeah, he screwed up and introduced his girl to his old friend, and then uh, and then she went waltzing with that with his buddy, and he's like, "Damn." Really wish I hadn't introduced them. Mm. And uh, yeah, that's the night of the Tennessee Waltz. I think we're gonna just take like a couple minute break. All right, sounds good to me. Till this phone starts ringing. <laughs> Hello. Hello there. Howdy. John Rosner here. All right. Thanks, John. Um, I'm here. This is Markley. I'm here with Mike. And uh, hey, Markley. Hi, Mike. Hey, John. And, and Andrew. Hey, how's it going? Hey, Andrew. We're all big fans. Um, so, what's your relationship to Margot? Oh, she's my stepmom. Yeah, that was the last thing I expected when I was uh, calling. A management hotline for yeah. for David Frischner. Uh, yeah, for Frischberg. Yeah, the uh, right. Yeah, you tracked me down because I administer the uh, the publishing catalog of David of Dave Frischberg, and uh, yes, it's one big uh, one big happy family because they're connected as well. Yeah, 
Great. So, I guess we're uh, kind of we've been we've been talking about Margot for close to an hour now, and uh, wow, listening back to her music and everything, and other people doing her music, and what we don't know is who is this amazing lady. <laughs> Uh, what which version? What, who else are you listening to? Are you listening to Claudine Langey or pretty pretty you know, much everything? <laughs> we listen to everything we could get our hands on. Uh, I got a couple that we have. You listen to yet. the there's a band. Uh, I don't know if, uh, what you're allowed to say and what you're not to say, but the a band called the F Word doing this uh, doing the song Love Songs. I've heard of that, but I have not heard that yet. We'll probably very it's very good. Oh, yeah. oh, we should hear that. We're going to drop that in because I actually do like that band. I, I had their album, yeah. Cupid's Cactus. And, or, right. Oh, man. Great stuff. Oh, wow. I like them, too. I have that now, album. Not, not, not F word. Oh, it's not. No, the band, I didn't know what I could say here. But the band is just called... That's the band, Cupid's Cactus. They put an okay, album good. out. Yeah, Yeah. okay, good. All right, Smells yeah, that's like right. Records. You can say that word, by the yes, way. Yes, that's exactly right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, we've already, so we've who already is... dropped an F-bomb once on this episode. That's right. Right, okay, all right, all right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, look, she's a, she's a wonderful, uh, you know, songwriter. And, uh, you know, she's been uh, my stepmom since uh, uh, since I was conscious, really. Okay. So I don't. I don't. I, yeah, I grew up with her. I don't remember. I don't remember life, you know, without her. You know, like a second mom. So, man, that's great. I so. I kind of look at her from that perspective, but I also handle her, uh, you know, publishing catalog and also the all the masters that we control as well. So I've been very involved in this. Uh, uh, well, now I, I kind of look at this as kind of a third coming. Um because it seems to hit a wave of young, of new young people every, uh, I don't know, seven or eight years. Yeah, that sounds about right. Her- the, the latest being kind of the, uh, you know, Burger Records folks and Proud and Psych Rock folks and all that. Yeah, it just, it just stays in the cycle. Um, yeah, here's, here's, fa- fa- fantastic. There was a uh, uh, every year something seems to happen, uh, you know, on the on the internet at least with um, uh, with the Christmas song. I don't intend to spend Christmas without you. And uh, our nice surprise this year was uh, Frank Ocean putting no uh, kidding putting put, putting Margot's version Margot's version on his um, Blonded uh, Christmas playlist oh, for awesome. uh, Apple. Yeah. Pretty cool. Hey, listen. Oh, get, can you hear me? I can. Hey, this is Andrew, by the way. I have a question for you. Hey, hey Andrew. S- hey, so y- you were talking about uh, just, you know, like every, every year or every few years, you know, some, you know, y- younger people get, you know, get, get inspired by her music and the Burger Records thing. Um, just out of curiosity, I mean, I have my own uh, theories about this, but what is it about her music that you think... Uh, it, uh, just keeps aging well like i i mean to me her music sounds so uh so sort of contemporary in some ways and also very uh of its time in in other ways but just just curious if you have thoughts about that wow well that's interesting i mean you know like there are people who would have sworn that bell and sebastian had heard margot's music oh yeah definitely um 
But I I spoke with uh, who is the who what uh, what's her name Campbell? Oh um, shoot, I forget. Yeah, uh, you have the internet. Uh, is is Isabel? Uh, is it Isabel? Is that right? Something uh, like yes, yeah, Isabel yeah, Campbell. That's okay. exactly right. I spoke to Isabel Campbell, and she had only heard of Margot because people kept telling people telling her that she sounded like her. Wow. Now she's huh. she's now she's a fan from what she what she told me. Right. But um, you know, I think it's this. I think that every few years, I mean. I think kind of the first crop included, well, included some pretty famous people. I remember uh, Shirley Manson writing on a tour blog um, saying that the, the, the song Love Songs was her favorite song at the at the moment. So that's whenever Garbage was successful, right? Oh, the late right. 90s Shirley Manson of Garbage, or some, yeah. Some, yeah, or something like that. Um, but I think, and at that time, there was folks like the folks in the in the Wondermints, um, a fellow that I eventually worked with called Linus of Hollywood, and his kind of crowd of uh, of uh, you know soft pop bands, um, right. you know, to them uh, or to a lot of them. I'm not going to speak for all of them, but to a lot of them, the ones that I've spoken to, you know, there's kind of uh, Pet Sounds and uh, and Margot's record you know just i think it's it's uh you know there are many uh, artists out there who might have one or two great records and a few great songs but she came up with a complete album that is just really solid from beginning to end of of these you know who did that of, this, of these like per- per- perfect nuggets of uh of 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 kind of pop goodness uh, yeah. coupled with this uh this, this wispy, unabrasive voice. Right. So, 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 so it's a beautiful album, and I think that there are definitely uh, a, a new crop of people who really appreciate, uh, you know, good songwriting and and pretty songs that that crop up every few years. I mean, I think that's what attracts people, and then there are a lot of them that get into it, and then they'll they'll discover like after being into that kind of music for a couple of years, they'll discover Margot, and then you know they 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 flip out for it. I don't know if that really answers the the question, but I, I think, think so. that yeah. it's people who really appreciate. I mean, it's again, it's it's the same people who go, "Oh my God, Pet Sounds is you know what a beautiful album." Yeah, yeah, that that's just 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 speaks to you right i mean there's not a oh, yeah. lot of uh it's hard to find right yeah that's that's good sound. company to be in <laughs> yeah and you find, i mean i'm not saying like i'm not gonna you know that's pet sound right but it's um uh you, you don't you find that sound a lot and then sometimes you find folks who write really amazing songs um but but together it's it's rare right Right. Hmm. So, being that you grew up with Margot, this is Mark again, yeah. by the way. But um, sure, hi, Mark. Do Do you remember um, when she made the shift from jazz music to? Pop no, I wasn't alive. I wasn't alive. Oh, yet. okay. Yeah, right. yeah. I mean, I was almost alive. Or you know what? Maybe <laughs> I was alive because it's. I was born in 1967, so I don't know. You know, I was close to being alive. You know, she made the shift. I forget. I think that you interviewed her, and I forget if this was in there, but it was all because of Dave Frischberg. Oh, okay. Because Dave Frischberg came over to her apartment in New York City in the 60s at some time, and I think brought over Pet Sounds. Hmm. And Margo was a jazz person, and, you know, like a lot of jazz people, that's all the music there is, and then everything else is, you know, not as good or something. 
um, or they don't like pop music very much, a lot of them. Right. And then she heard Pet Sounds and went, um, you know, if this is pop music, I'm in. And that's when she started writing, uh, uh, writing songs like she did for Take a Picture. It was either Pet Sounds or Sgt. Pepper or both. It was one of those, but uh, um, but that that is how that is how it happened. So, you know, I really, when I was conscious of the music that Margot was writing, it was when she was writing uh, the songs that a lot of the songs that eventually ended up on Twenty Five Demos in the seventies. Because I was a little kid, I remember the world at her piano in the apartment in New York, and uh, Margot writing these songs. Here's Mike, John. Hi, Mike. Hey, John. How's it going? Good. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. Pleasure to be speaking with you. Hey, you and I are Likewise. similar in age. I was born in '66, so. Oh, right on. And, what, uh, uh, what? What month? Oh, June. Oh, in June. Okay, so we're six. We're six months apart because I was born in January of 1967. Yeah. Well, it's good to meet you. And, you. and you know, <clears throat> I'm kind of I definitely drank the kool-aid when it came to margot i mean the first time i heard her stuff um and i actually was introduced to her music through those 25 demos the franklin castle reissues yeah um, that's linus of hollywood's label yes and uh yeah yeah and in fact everybody that's sitting at the table kind of came into uh her music th- through that reissue yeah that's right oh right wow. and and um yeah you know i i guess couple of questions for me right off the top of my head that I would ask sure. would be, would be um, since that was your earliest memory of Margot when she was working on those songs, I, I, is there any way for you to kind of give a, maybe share a memory of maybe, do you, do you remember how she may have been tracking her vocals or did she work at home? No. Did she work I, in no. a studio? She, she definitely wasn't working at home. Okay. I can tell you that, that much. And I do remember i mean i remember when california shake was recorded yeah um, and i remember as like a ninth birthday present they let me go in and and, and, and you know sing it uh on the track mm-hmm. oh wow which was kind of fun for fun for a little kid that was neil diamond's band playing uh on california shake no oh, kidding okay. wow yeah oh we haven't uh, played actually, that I, one but I, it's I, on the queue so now now we're gonna oh, right on you yeah. know yeah, that's one of the only ones that uh, maybe the only one that's a co-write with the guitarist Richard Bennett, who was Neil's guitarist. Oh, I see. Yeah, hmm. interesting. And, and the, the drummer is, uh, I, I believe, it was Dennis St. John. I don't know if you know who Dennis St. John was, but he was Neil's drummer from like 1970 to 1980. Oh, wow. And he worked with. Uh, are you guys soul music fans at all? Oh sure. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he worked. He was in a band with a, with another fellow that I work with called the Mighty Hannibal. Hmm. I don't know if you know the Mighty Hannibal, but uh, if you don't, sounds you like we better. Yeah, yeah uh, look up, look up, look up a song called "Jerkin' the Dog." Watch okay. the video. Got okay. it. Amazing. Doing Boy, the right rhythm now. section on those demo tracks were just so good. Oh, oh, oh all the all the musicians were were top notch. But I remember Margot writing these songs like "Yes, I Am." I mean, the whole Watergate thing the, that was going on at the time the hum yeah so I, I remember i remember all of that and um uh you know it was just part of life hearing hearing these and i guess hearing songs on occasion from take a 
picture, you know, which was really this uh, this thing of the past. Of course, it felt like it was a long time ago to me when I was really young, but it was only, you know, seven, eight years prior, I suppose. But um, And then I remember, you know, when, uh, when we first learned that uh, Take a Picture had had an had a audience, you know, for the first audience for, you know, 30 or whatever years. And was that in, was that in Japan? That, well, that was in Japan, but I mean, do you know the story at all, how or why we even knew that this was going on? Please enlighten us. Oh yeah. So we were in the, we were in the office, my, my dad and, and, and I, and, um, we received a royalty statement from Jazzrack, which is the uh, Japanese Performing and Mechanical Rights Society, right? So they would pay you for performance rights like ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC, and they also pay you for uh, record sales. And on, and we got a, a, a check from them for, I don't know what it was, but it was around $4,000. And we look, and we looked at, you know, well, what's, what's on here? And there was... Um, uh, and there were all the songs from Take a Picture. And, uh, you know, we were scratching our heads. We had no idea what was going on. And it turned out that uh, we did a little digging. Uh, you know, I, I had some friends who lived in the United States who were fr for, from Japan, and, and, and they helped us out. And we did a little digging, and it turned out that she had, that Take a Picture had been pirated in Japan. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, pirated in Japan, but... As opposed to here, when you pirate a record and it's totally underground, there they had, um, uh, I think a lot of countries, the, the uh, music societies are, are kind of extensions of the government, so they're a little, uh, the, the regulations are a little bit stiffer, which is, which is good. Um, so there, if you had anything pressed up in a pressing plant, because we're just talking CDs, right? This is right before uh, the internet was all the rage. Um, uh, they had to turn in the song titles of what they were pressing. And when they did that, it went into the system and they were able to locate the publishers and, and writer. And, um, uh, yeah, that was it. That was, uh, that was the very first, uh, that was the first time a couple of things, uh, you know, kind of happened at once. Um, we found out about that, and then we found out that she'd be written about in various uh, Japanese publications or books, and she was kind of the soft pop queen of Japan. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean that's at least what these things, what these, uh, what these books have said. And then, and I, for the life of me, don't know how we found out about this, but we did. We had found out that Pizzicato Five had sampled. Claudine Langer's version of I Don't Intend to Spend Christmas Without You. And you know Pizzicato 5? Yes. Yes, yes. Yeah, there's a song called 20th Century Girl. You can look that up oh. and you can hear the, the sample is looped, uh, is, is looped throughout. And, um, and yeah, so I approached, uh, I went to Matador, and it was unlicensed. Um, they, they credited the Claudine Langer, the master portion of the sample, but not the, not the song. So I called Matador Records and I said, you know, what's, what's going on here? And the uh, general manager of Matador Records, uh, Patrick Amory, seemed less concerned 
that I was kind of, uh, you know, being the publishing police and, and calling and, and, and trying to, you know, sort this out and get, get, get this, get this licensed and, and paid. Uh, he was less concerned with that and more impressed that I knew Margot, and I was a little bit taken aback because obviously there was stuff brewing, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> un- 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 unbeknownst, unbeknownst to us. And then I asked him, "Well, how do you know Margot?" And he said that uh, there was a fellow named Jeffrey Weiss, who uh, at that time was an A and R guy at Hollywood Records, who had uh, uh, turned him on to. Margot and had apparently been, you know, making copies and giving uh, Margot albums out to uh, everyone he met, and, wow. and we're friends to this day, Jeffrey and I. Oh wow, this this is a good. Story. What a story! Yeah, so it was interesting. It all just kind of happened, and uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. And that was that was kind of that first uh, that first wave, and I and uh, I had started working with this fellow Linus of of Hollywood and he was in my office one day and he kept describing the kind of music he was really into. He was in a band at that time called size 14 who are on, um, zoo records hmm. and, um, which, which used to be, uh, volcano, I believe, or no, it turned from zoo to volcano. Anyway, he, he was in this, on this band. They were kind of a Weezer esque band and, and he, and he kept telling me about the music that he's really into. And he was a big Brian Wilson fan and all this kind of stuff. And, and I said, wow, you know, it sounds like you probably like my, my stepmom's record. And uh, I, I played it for him. And, uh, you know, it was as if he found, uh, I don't know what, but uh, he had found it. Pure gold. Yeah. Well, uh, John, what I didn't get to the surface of it all in any research or uh, reaching out. Right. Is- probably won't happen now. Okay. Yeah. And that, <laughs> I don't know. That that's just fine. But I, I'm just I'm kidding. Just, Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just, you know, I think me and a lot of people are curious, just what was going on between '68 and 2007, like. Oh, my, life. life. Yeah. Life. Life. I mean, my dad and Margot together were, uh, uh, you know, p- producing uh, various writers and such that they liked. I mean, my dad's a publisher, um, was a pub, was a publisher. Um, and she was living life, you know, occasionally writing, um, getting very uh, involved in teaching piano. I mean, it was just another, it was just another part of life. Yeah. That's, that's, no, that's, that's definitely throwing me a bone though. That's yeah. I mean, that's exactly, that's exactly the way it was. Yeah, that's what you oh, do. Oh yeah, she loved she loved teaching, and um, uh, yeah, I mean that was really uh, that that was really it. Yeah, I, maybe that kind of explains the um, the uh, chopsticks variations or something. Uh, absolutely. Now I forget what the timeline on that is. Like whether this resurgence happened and then. Chopsticks was written, but you know it certainly led to that. That that came from her teaching, and actually, I think wanting to write something that her students could play. Hmm. That would be interesting that they would be familiar with, but also kind of do it in a very cool way. Sure, we, we've been listening to it and enjoying it here. That's um, great. It's so good. It's, it, it, it's great, but yeah, I mean, I think when she had made the decision that she didn't want to tour and she didn't want to do all that stuff, I mean, she kept writing, but then. Um, I don't know. I don't believe she, Margo was writing very much in the in the eighties, for example. 
sure. You know, I've just got to drop in a comment here. You know, yeah. uh, just in terms of your dad's production on Margot's stuff, I. Well, my dad didn't produce. I mean, maybe he produced the demos. Okay. But he didn't produce the album. He and Margot together produced the Dave Frischberg album, Oklahoma Toad. Okay. Well, that that's a good segue into my next question for you. Yeah. Um, I am fascinated by this con- connection or this thread that seems to be going through a number of people who I hold near and dear, um, musicians, uh, your mother, uh, stepmom, uh, David Frischberg, uh, Bob DeRoe, uh, yeah. and um, I, Fran Landisman seems to pop up now and again as well. I live in St. Louis, so Fran is um, kind of a, a big deal among certain circles in, in my hometown. And uh, I'm wondering if, if there's a connection there. Are you aware of any? Um. Oh, I'm, I am only aware of the connection between um, Margot and Dave and Dave and Bob. Yeah, I've I met Bob. Um, uh, he came to do he came on two occasions to do a uh, a Fran Landisman tribute, a uh, couple of shows each night, five years apart, by the way, and um, had a really nice meeting with Bob. He's a like a real you know, childhood hero, and now yeah, you know, oh, so great. I love that yeah. guy, and um, I got I got to see him and uh, and Dave. The only time I've saw him was when he and Dave uh, did a show together at the Jazz Bakery in in Los Angeles, mm. and uh, they did some Schoolhouse Rock songs together. Sure. I think they played separately. It was yeah, it was pretty great. Yeah, so yeah, and, and you know your dad's work on on uh, Margot's multi-tracked vocals magic brilliant idea yeah yeah no i mean that uh that definitely worked out because uh, uh it sounds really good it sure does yeah i got a question for you oh, sure here's andrew um hey andrew hey <laughs> uh so you know, I'm just wondering, uh, and we asked her this too, uh, sort of. Um, but uh, do, do you have any favorite songs of hers? Maybe even favorite recordings of hers? Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think that um, that love songs. It's mm, a good one. Um, the hope to take a picture version and the demo version and someone I know would be my favorites oh yeah those are at least right now i think that those are my my favorite but i love love Mm -hmm. um uh and sunday morning and you know i mean i love i i really like all i really like all of the of the songs but i would say that that um that that love songs and um uh someone i know maybe are my faves, but I also love a lot of the songs and I love, uh, the hum. Mm, so good. I love, yes, love. Yes, I am. I love, um, uh, I'd like to see the bad guys win. Oh yeah. That's a great <laughs> one. So, so a lot, you know, that one got, this is a long time ago, a really nice, uh, television use. And it was, it was on the Osbournes. Oh, 
and and Ozzy was was uh, receiving some kind of either a lifetime achievement award or footprints in Hollywood. I forget what it was, but it was as he was getting this award they used that song and it was wow. just, it was per- perfect. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Oh, that's cool. We'll have to perfect. we'll have to watch that. And, and we've gotten quite a few uh, television uses and and film, but quite a few TV uses with uh, with with Margot's songs uh i I forget what the most recent is but we had a a couple really cool ones in that show um with david duchovny called aquarius Hmm. cool you remember that show i don't think i I, I, I saw that show mark's seen it i haven't seen it it was about the uh it was it was about charles manson ah cool yeah i think i remember margo coming up in that show actually yeah it caught me off guard Right during one of the one of the uses was um, was was they were they were uh, panning around uh, the house the Sharon Tate house after the murder so there's blood everywhere and I think Love Songs was playing yeah wow. yeah so eerie wow 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 <laughs> very 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 much so my goodness so yeah and did was she a casual singer around the house or did she I no mean, she wasn't a musical <laughs> like did she, like, walk, she like, wasn't like casually the, music did it she sing in the shower there we go like, like, she, 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 no i don't know about that but she didn't uh, she didn't walk around singing but she sang and she played i mean it wasn't that she didn't sing she did but she didn't. She wasn't in the kitchen uh, making salad and singing at the same time or anything. Right. But okay. I think you have to be like you have to be a belter to do that. Like wispy singers don't sing while they're cooking. Uh, we had a fan request uh, for a question about yeah salad and the like. What kind of diet did she have? <laughs> normal, really, really normal diet. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very, very normal. Yeah. I, like I, lo- I, love some deli or you know Chinese food. Oh man, I think a lot of her fans' hair is standing on end now. Hearing that, <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it's pretty, uh, yeah, yeah. We no- noticed that uh, this it's Mike again. Uh, I noticed that uh, Margot's pretty been pretty active on Facebook lately, and uh, resp- yeah, she likes that. Oh yeah, responding to everyone's you know commentary and stuff, and sure, that's nice. I you know you feel like you have a you know you you, you get to at least express, you know, your, your feelings to her and she responds, you know? Oh, absolutely. No, no, no. For her, it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. She got back to me like in less than half an hour when I reached out to her. So, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, she, she's, uh, yeah, she's definitely responsive if she, you know, trusts what she reads. All right, John, thank you so much for talking. Thanks a lot. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Have, have a good one. Same Take to care. You. you too. Bye-bye. Yeah. Yeah.
That's Young Husband covering Margot's song that uh, we were talking about. Kind of a non-Christmas song for Christmas time. That was a lot of fun. I'll say. I do I too. know more. I, I feel enlightened. Yeah. I did too. I really like Margot Gurion's music. I like it even more now. And I still don't think you can do better than those 25 demos. Yeah. And they go up to 29 now. Gosh. I don't know how they did that. She still must have a box of them somewhere, I'm telling you. There's got to be a vault out there. (laughs) And that's episode four of Low Profile. Thanks for making it this far. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend who might also enjoy it. Word of mouth will really help make this program a success. Also, please, please do me a favor and rate and review it on iTunes. Share it with friends on social media and listen to it in public at a loud volume. If you really want to help the show, there's an active Patreon account that, as of this moment, has zero supporters. My initial plan is to make a monthly mixtape and share it with the supporters as well as post some bonus content. Next week, for example, I'll be posting some bonus content from today's episode. You can find more about this at patreon.com slash lowprofile. The songs we heard today are listed on the episode's description on lowprofilepodcast.com. Next week, or rather, next time, I sit down with a few friends to discuss the one and only Gary Wilson, who faded into obscurity in the early 80s only to return in 2004 and continues to make mind-warping pop records that make up a soap opera based on his own life. We got to interview the man himself and really pull back the curtain on this living, breathing mystery. That episode will be out on Thursday, April 18th, 2019. Until then, stay strong, get blessed, and keep the music alive. This has been sent telepathically. Over and out. Love, love.